You're listening to Expanding Horizons, the podcast of the Unitarian Church of South Australia, a home of progressive spirituality and free religious thought and action since 1854. The views expressed in these podcasts are those of the speaker and are not intended to represent the position of the church itself or of the worldwide Unitarian Universalist movement. For more information, visit unitariansa.org.au. Welcome everyone. Everyone is welcome here regardless of background, ethnicity, sexuality, gender. And I acknowledge that we meet on the traditional lands of the Ghana people. Before lighting the chalice today, I invite you to relax, to completely relax. And I propose to spend two or three minutes in a short guided relaxation. So Come on this short journey with me, if you will. If you feel uncomfortable at any stage, then just stop and do whatever you want to do. But uh, as is our way. But uh, for those of you who will come along with me, let's first start by closing our eyes. Just being conscious of our body sitting there, heavily and begin to be conscious of our breathing and consciously breathe deep into your belly big deep breaths not rushing it just in your own time Just check the different parts of your body for tension. If there's tension in your legs and your arms, you can let that go. You don't need that right now. Consciously let go of any unnecessary tension. the sounds outside us. Any traffic sound, sounds inside the room, the hum of some heater or something. the sound of our own bodies, the sound of our breathing. Just be conscious of that for a moment.
Let's just continue that deep breathing for a minute or two. One more deep breath. And uh, open your eyes. So there is a, a gift of relaxation and stillness to start today's service. For thousands of years, human beings have gathered around fires and contemplated the mystery of life, the meaning of what we do. And here we gather before this flame in our pursuit of meaning, in a community of kind and caring and affirmational people. We're grateful for that. And now I'll ask John to come forward and uh, give us a story for all ages, which he has on PowerPoint. So this was uh, a little free story that I picked up off the web and I've embellished it a bit. It's a story for all ages. After all, I think we all carry the residue of childhood, so we probably all have a default age where we've been largely formed by the time we were five and uh, that residue stays with us forever. So today's story is about the lost watch. The subtitle is The Power of Silence. It's about an old farmer, and he'd lost his precious old pocket watch. Remember those? We Like mobile phones that we now carry in our pocket that are watches and many other things as well, we had these old fob watches or pocket watches, fob watches, Fob was a chain that attached them to the, uh, the clock. Anyway, he'd been stacking hay bales in his barn and the, he'd kept the, the watch in his shirt pocket and it must have slipped out. He ha- obviously had quite a bit of stooping over to do and it may have appeared as an ordinary pocket watch to others but it, it had been given to him by his dad. Perhaps your parents or grandparents uh, gave you a watch. I know my grandparents had a proud tradition. My tradition nowadays is to buy my kids, uh, my grandchildren computers. 
they're not much interested in pocket watches. <laughs> anyway, it had been given to him by his dad and it was of great sentimental value. It was much older than any phone that we might have nowadays and, and of course, uh, it looked like the one that you can see in the picture. It didn't run on batteries or solar energy. It had spinning wheels and gears with fine cogs and was powered by winding up a spring with the winder that you can see there at the side. And if you held it near your ear, you could hear it ticking away happily until it needed rewinding, but only once a day if it was a good watch. After searching high and low, he got very tired. He didn't want to stop the search, so he thought of a plan. And he could hear some young children playing outside, so he asked them to help him. Younger eyes might be better than his at searching for watches. They suddenly became much more eager to hunt for the watch when he promised a reward for the child who found it. The children rushed into the barn and went around the entire stack of hay bales and loose hay to find the watch. And of course, it was a bit of a game too. You had to jump and play and tumble in the soft hay. But after spending a long time looking for the watch, the children got bored, tired, like the old farmer, and they gave up. Soon there were only a few children left and eventually they were about to drift away and the farmer was about to shut the doors when the last of the children remaining, a young boy, asked the farmer, can I have a bit longer? I think I might be able to find your watch. The farmer didn't want to miss any opportunity, so he left the boy to search alone in the barn. And not long after, the boy came out with a smile on his face holding the watch triumphantly in his hand. The farmer was overjoyed and very surprised that the boy had found the watch. How did you do it? How did you manage to find it when all your friends and I actually failed to find it? The, the boy replied, I just sat there in the silence, listening for the ticking of your pocket watch. When all my friends had given up and left, it was much easier for me in the silence to hear where it was coming from and then to find it. The farmer was delighted to get the watch and he rewarded the little boy as he'd promised. The lesson we can learn from this story, there's always a lesson, isn't there? A peaceful mind can think better than a worked up mind. So once in a while, allow a few minutes of silence for our minds to rest. Sometimes all we need to do is relax and use that silence to admit we have a problem. Think about what caused it and what we can do to solve it. Sometimes silence may be just the key we need to unlock the doors that shut away our answers, like the barn doors that were about to stop the boy with a plan from finding the watch. So when we have a problem, we need a plan. Like the tired old farmer getting the children to help with his search, that was a plan. Like the boy who thought he might just be able to hear the ticking of the watch. He must have had good hearing and the farmer's hearing would have been a bit like mine. When we're given a difficult task, like the farmer and the children in this story, we worry we mightn't be able to solve it. The boy in the story did find an answer. Old pocket watches tick, unless the spring had run down. 
So if the pocket watch is still working, why not listen for it? So what are the most important steps in problem solving, do you think, and why? That cartoon shows some of them. But there's a missing step, and it's probably the most important. Anyone like to guess? Well, there's the answer. The, the missing step is recognising that we have a problem. With a lot of today's problems, many people are in denial. It's not my problem. They say, well, no, it's not a problem. If it's climate change, no, don't believe it. Or they might get around to saying, well, if there is climate change, it's not my problem. I'm old. The children are going to have to sort it out. So I guess we will start off by feeling we're not up to the task. But as we think about it, we believe there's an opportunity that we can do something about it and courage might even come from that. The boy in this story showed us that silence without noises, without distraction, can help. Now, when I was a kid at school, I can still remember that clearly, if I had a difficult maths problem, I'd go to sleep on it. And more often than not, in fact, almost invariably, the answer would be waiting for me in the morning. I'd be able to think of it. Sometimes, also, we can't do problem-solving alone. We have a network, our church friends, other friends. Big problems like climate change will need everybody to be part of the solution. It'll need teamwork and it'll need a lot of courage and sacrifice. So let's all have courage in our problem solving. Planning and thinking in the calm of silence is often a good step forward. And sometimes darkness, which we might have been scared of as a little kid, can be a friend to help us with our problems. Answers come more quickly without visual distractions like mobile phones, TV, chat sessions on social media and games. All of those ways that distract us from solving our problems or even admitting that we've got one. And darkness is sometimes as easy as just closing our eyes. So darkness, like silence, can also be a friend, like the Simon and Garfunkel song. Do you, do you know that one? Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping, and the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sounds of silence. Thank you. Well, thank you, John, for the story for all ages and also covering off on the Minister's reflections for today as well. Well, now we're going to go to a hymn, Come and Find the Quiet Centre. Thank you, Robin. Please join me in some reflections on what we've heard. We're aware that there are many causes of suffering in the world, sometimes with our own health, 
and the health of those we care about, sometimes because of natural disasters. We know that many are suffering in Australia and other parts of the world at the present time. For those of us who pray, we pray for healing. We pray for deliverance from these afflictions. But we know it's part of the circle of life on this earth. We're also grateful for the joys that we receive from caring for each other, supporting each other, and also the wonderful art and music in the world, which can lift our spirits and bring us so much joy. We are grateful. Now I'll ask Erica to come forward with the reading for today. This reading is from Discipleship in the New Age by Alice Bailey. True silence is expressed by those individuals and groups who are watchful of their words so that no word harms or separates. They work with sealed lips for they have learnt the secret of silence. And what is that secret? The secret is love. These servers understand that true silence is animated by a loving heart and an appreciation for the path and plight of others. So there is no need to criticise, to intimidate or pressure, no need for the noise of personality. Instead, through love, they seek inclusiveness and work through the heart with the silence of synthesis. Thanks, Erica. And now, Robin, thank you. So I entitled these reflections The Sound of Silence. Once again, I turn to an old pop song for inspiration, but it could also be a Zen riddle. What is the sound of silence? But first a joke, uh, so this is a Zen joke, you could say. Uh, a woman's walking through a park when she sees a man sitting on a park bench with a brick in each hand, which he uses to bash each side of his head. And horrified, she asks, why are you doing that? He puts the bricks down for a moment and says, it feels so good when I stop. Now, friends, I have a sense that there is a greater power in life than the human ego, which is available to us and from which we can receive valuable guidance. Now, some people would agree with that and think of it as an external agency, call it God. Others may sense this is a spirit of life that is all around us and through us. Some people may have a sense of this power being internal in our own unconscious a well of intuition and conscience to guide us through life. And some people, like my friend Aristotle, are reluctant to concede the existence of anything which can't be seen or measured. But what if there is some greater power available to us? Wouldn't it make sense to make ourselves open to it? Unlike my house, 
where I haven't changed the battery in the doorbell for many years. So if I'm busy watching TV or putting on a load of washing, there could well be a delivery person pressing the doorbell with every intention of delivering a special surprise for me. They don't realise that pressing the doorbell actually makes no sound inside the house. Even if they try knocking, I usually don't hear it because I'm busy with my things around the house. And occasionally there might be a loud knock which will wake me up from my preoccupations, but more often the person at the door gives up. So what if someone is knocking on the door of your consciousness to leave a gift or a message? Would you be too preoccupied to hear it? The way that we can receive the good that life has to offer is to practice silence occasionally. Consciously limiting your speech is a good discipline to practice for at least part of each day. If you want to go further, there are means available to quieten the chattering of the mind as it mulls over your projects, your regrets, your anxieties and so on. This is why I recommend meditation. But I know that walking through the bush or sitting by the sea might help as well. Eventually you can reach the point where the mind stops calculating, stops worrying. And in that silence, it can be startling the affirmations, the resolutions and the guidance that emerges from somewhere. Some evidence of how important silence is to us as human beings is the fact that noise has been made an instrument of torture by many military agencies around the world. In the modern era, this became notorious first during the Korean War of the early 1950s. American military leaders couldn't understand how captured US officers, who were known for their devotion to the cause, could publicly denounce the war. The answer was, in many cases, they had been tortured. And some of the torture involved incessant loud music or other sound to disorient and aggravate the prisoner. From the Chinese qinao, the word brainwash entered the English vocabulary. The CIA studied these methods and refined them in the 50s and 60s as part of the MKUltra program until a CIA auditor recommended in the 60s that such practices be seriously curtailed, especially on those who hadn't given their consent to participate. This tried-and-true method of torture continued to be applied to enemy prisoners, for example, in Iraq, Afghanistan, later at Guantanamo Bay. Non-stop heavy metal music seems to have, have, seems to have had the effect of reducing mental resistance to interrogation, reducing morale, and reducing willpower. So here's a question for us. Now, I don't see anyone here who would surround themselves with heavy metal music all day. But we are continually engaging in chatter, TV programs, radio news, and so on. Are we distracting ourselves from reflection which would lead us to be better people and 
kinder toward others. Before moving on from the notion that music can be torture, I must give a couple of more light-hearted examples. Now, I hope you know what a mariachi band is. It's Spanish-Mexican music, usually with violins, guitars and singing. In 2018, when there were protests outside the White House, it's alleged that one of Hillary Clinton's supporters hired a mariachi band to play as loudly as possible in the evening so that President Trump wouldn't get a good night's sleep. <laughs> we're not talking about three guys in sombreros, but an 18-piece band. So I'm not sure what... I'm not sure what, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what effect it had. Um, and there's another example earlier this year. There were anti-vax protests outside the Parliament House in Wellington, New Zealand. So to drive them away, the Speaker of the New Zealand Parliament used the public address system to play endless Barry Manilow tracks. <laughs> He must have figured out that for that particular crowd it would be unbearable to listen to the melodic crooning of Barry Manilow and the syrupy, corny lyrics. Now, I'm not sure how successful it was. Now, I turn briefly to the book attributed to Mark in the Christian Bible, the earliest surviving biography of Jesus. Yeshua begins his ministry by going off into the desert for 40 days, a place of silence. And subsequently, there are several references to Jesus going off by himself to pray. The point is, to receive the inspiration for his teaching and the decisions he made, he withdrew to a silent place. And regardless what you think about Jesus, the church, the dogma, all of that, why do you think the story of Jesus includes these references to retreating to places of silence to pray? If indeed this great teacher had this practice of retreating into silence, the question is, can we find benefit in our own lives in retreating from the noise of the world? Our friends the Quakers would certainly give an affirmative answer to that question. Now, both the Unitarians and the Quakers at around the same time in England reacted to the dogma of the established church in different ways. The Unitarians, by dropping some of the dogma, which was considered beyond reason, and the Quakers, by not speaking of it at all. Unitarians reduced and simplified the worship practices of the Christian church of the day. The Quakers reduced it to the simplest practice of all, just sitting together quietly, finding strength, inspiration and peace in silence. It's interesting that the Buddha's followers were known as Apasadakama, lovers of quietness. And here are a couple of stories from that tradition. There was a time when 31 bodhisattvas, or saints, visited an extremely wise man. The wise man tested them with questions about how they had overcome the illusion of duality. One monk explained how he had thought through the problem of good and evil. Another was able to demonstrate that birth and death were not the polar opposites they first appeared. 
Another explained his meditations on how the apparent opposites of distraction and attention led him to contemplate equanimity and unity. The wise man compliments them but reflects that each of them had used concepts of duality in their explanations, so they had not really attained an escape from duality thinking as they had supposed. The wise man turns to Vimalakirti, who was not trained as a monk like the others. The wise man asks him about how to achieve a frame of mind of complete non-duality. Vimalakirti answers with silence, later renowned as a thunderous silence. The wise man claims that Vimalakirti has indeed grasped the principle which is beyond all speech and beyond all thought. Some truths just can't be put into words. Another story is about the rich man and the demon. When passing through a marketplace, a rich man is approached by a hawker with a little jar. Now, the hawker explains that he's captured a demon in the jar, and he's willing to sell it to the rich man and says it will carry out all of the rich man's wishes in terms of looking after his businesses, doing the accounts, unloading materials, stacking goods in the shops, and so on. The rich man is interested and asks the price. When the hawker tells him he's willing to sell the demon for 500 rupees, the man says, that is unbelievable, as if the rest of the story isn't. But anyway, he says, that, that price is unbelievable to sell a demon that can do so much amazing work for such a low price. The hawker replies, ah, well, there is a catch. As soon as the demon has finished all the stipulated tasks, if there are no further tasks forthcoming, then the demon will find the owner and eat him. Well, the rich man, knowing how busy he is with his empire of shops, is confident that there'll always be plenty for the demon to do. So he buys the demon, and as soon as he lets the demon out of the jar, he reels off a huge long list of jobs to do in the man's shops. With astonishing speed, the demon is back at the end of the day, having accomplished every task. The man is unnerved by this, but he quickly reels off another list of tasks to the utmost limit of his memory. As the demon rushes off to work, the man is overcome with anxiety, knowing that he'll be struggling to come up with such a long list of tasks again. He rushes off to the temple to consult one of the monks. The monk comes up with a solution. The rich man is advised to plant a stick of bamboo in the ground near his house, a piece of natural bamboo with many knots in it. When the demon returns, the man must give him any remaining jobs in the business, but then conclude with the task of running up and down the bamboo stick, counting the knots. And so it goes. The demon finishes his business tasks and is then harmlessly occupied with running up and down the bamboo cane. The story is meant to reflect our mind, which insists on being kept busy. We can train our mind, however, when not carrying out the necessary tasks of daily living, to focus on our breathing or deeper reflection. It's the bamboo cane, rather than driving us mad with anxiety. And finally, I note that for the music we hear today to be so enchanting, it is punctuated 
Moments of pause, of silence, are an aspect of punctuation, which gives emphasis to key phrases and allows us to absorb the music. Without punctuation, it would be cacophonous, from the Greek kakos phonos, meaning bad sound. And it's the same for our speech every day. Listening to someone speak without punctuation would be boring at best, completely nonsensical at worst. And it's the same with living our lives. We need moments of pause, of reflection, to make sense of the rest. you've enjoyed this Expanding Horizons podcast. These podcasts are the intellectual property of the presenter. They can be used only with the express permission and appropriate acknowledgement of the presenter. This permission can be obtained by emailing admin at unitariansa.org.au. Please feel free to leave a comment or visit us on Facebook or Twitter by searching SA Unitarians or by visiting our website at unitariansa.org.au.